Take your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And our uh, third Sunday in our exponential series. I want to thank you for all of the prayers for my wife this week on uh, Tuesday. Actually, Friday of last week, they... He had gotten a bunch of blood work done. The nurse called on Monday and said, everything looks great. You're doing great. You know, whatever. And she's like, I feel terrible. And uh, so they went in for a follow-up appointment on Tuesday and uh, said that they think she had gallstones and ended up uh, in the emergency room Tuesday night and having surgery for a gallbladder on Wednesday and came out of surgery said, you got a two-for-one deal because you had a, a, a um, hernia and then we repaired that while they were in there. So her... Uh, recovery time is going to be a little bit longer, but uh, she's been sick pretty much all year, and we're very thankful to get to the bottom of some of it and hopefully be moving past. And uh, yesterday was day three after surgery, so it was kind of a rough day, but we're uh, moving upwards, so I think we're on the upward swing on that. So thanks for all the prayers and concerns uh, from our church family. Mark chapter 6, as we continue in this series on exponential, we're looking at minor characters in the, in the Word of God and how they had an exponential impact uh, for the cause of Christ and how God would use them in, in ways that maybe you might think, hey, Pastor David, my gifting is not such that I, I feel like I'm that significant. I don't feel like I have that much to offer or that much to, to give uh, God in my, in my life. And yet we see that, you know, as we look at this opportunity that God has uniquely equipped us Last Sunday we looked at the, the gift of serving and how we could utilize that within the, the local New Testament church. This morning we're looking at the power of giving and we're going to look specifically at the story of the feeding of the 5,000. If you can just imagine for the, what it must have been like, here's a young boy whose mom packs him a lunch and he goes out to hear Jesus teach and little did he know what God had in store and how he would use someone who probably thought, I have nothing to offer Jesus, but I'm hoping just to get a glimpse of him. I want to hear him speak. I've, I heard he heals people. I've heard he transforms lives. And so you're imagining what it must have been like to be a, a small boy who goes to hear Jesus speak. I want to remind us, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, whoever sows sparingly will reap also what, church? Sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will reap also what, also what church? All right, so let's try it one more time. We're going to back up for just a second. School's getting ready to start back. In fact, in a couple of weeks, we're going to pray over all of our teachers. And uh, as you are getting ready to begin a brand new school year, we are thankful for you. But I'm going to be a teacher this morning. We're going to back up and try that one more time. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul is writing, he says, Whoever sows sparingly will reap also what, church? Sparingly, that's good. And whoever sows bountifully will reap also what, church? Bountifully. Okay, all of it, everybody's together this morning. In other words, the more generous we are, the more generously our lives will be blessed. We talked about last Sunday how we get blessings when we serve God, when we give Him our all and, and lay it on the altar and allow Him to use us. Living generously takes our life to an exponentially higher level. It enables us to experience the power of God in ways we couldn't have imagined uh, previously, a higher level of meaning and purpose. How many 
believe that you're happier when you're generous. How many would say, Pastor David, I believe I'm happier when I'm generous. When you help someone, when you donate to a good cause, when you help the poor, when you help the needy, when you uh, see uh, one of these missionaries come in, and our church has had such an opportunity over the years to have a front row seat at, at what God is doing, not only locally, but on the foreign mission field. And and providing cars for missionaries and, and housing and, and help build wells in, in India after the tsunami uh, a number of years ago. It, it's awesome just to see how God uses the church to impact. But, you know, how many of you believe that generosity leads to happiness? All right. Generosity leads. We did those blessing bags a few years ago. Well, a couple years ago, we're going to do them again. Last year with the pandemic, we didn't do a whole lot of touching anything, but we're hopefully going to get back into touching and, and all of that stuff. And I mean that in all the nicest ways. But I mean, it, it, you've got to be careful. But what we want to do, when we're giving out something to someone who's homeless and there are, uh, toothbrushes and toothpaste and there's things for their snacks and and a water bottle and and maybe feminine products and things that they may need that helps meet a need in their life it, it's awesome and it, it's a great feeling i know every time we would pass someone and our kids would say hey pastor dad, pastor david dad uh, there's somebody let's let's pull over there and they want to get over that lane so they could hand one of those bags out to them and and be a blessing there's something that comes from understanding what it means to give. Let me ask you though, if we believe that generosity leads to happiness, how come generosity in 2021 is so rare? Why is it that in this life, Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive? How come it's easier to receive than to give? You see, in a world full of greed, generosity rises to the top. It sets such a standard that the world knows nothing of. In fact, some of the most uh, uh, God-forsaken places, when you look around the world at some of the places, this seems like, man, the poverty level is absolutely on the bottom. You know what stands out in those places? The church of Jesus Christ is they're meeting needs right where they're at. I love Samaritan's person when they come in when there's a need and they're, they're rising, they're providing medical care, they're providing assistance to refugees, they're providing uh, toys for children uh, through the um, shoebox program at Christmas time. And I love when ministries step in, the Red Cross does so, and they step in and they help meet an immediate need after a, a devastation or a fire or an earthquake or tornado. You see all these ministries, what happens is when Christians get involved, oftentimes the world begins to look around and say, why are they so generous? What is it about them that causes them to want to give to people that they don't know? Here this morning, we look at uh, the story of Jesus, who's commonly called the feeding of the 5,000. If you know anything about this passage, it wasn't just 5,000. The five, number 5,000 was just the men that were present, but there were also women and children. And so uh, uh, historians say they believe that there was anywhere from 10 to 12 or 15,000 possible people that were gathered here. I remember standing in this very place where they believed this took place over in Israel and thinking what it must have been like to be standing there and with that many people looking at you and they're starving. They're looking for food. They're looking for sustenance. And they're looking at one person. It's not the disciples. They're looking at Jesus. What's his plan? 
Uh, is Uber Eats on its way? Because we're starving. Is DoorDash delivering today? We're, we're starving. We're waiting on uh, food. We're, it's that time of day. And I think it's one of the most important miracles that Jesus performs because we have four gospel accounts in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each one of them are giving firsthand uh, accounts of Jesus' life and ministry. But other than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, this is the only story that's in all four Gospels. I think it's pretty significant because Jesus wants us to understand little as much when God is in it. You see what happens is when God, when we'll allow Him, He will use us in ways that we couldn't even begin to imagine. So let's jump in, in the story. I want us to see, first of all, I must grow in my love for other people. Look at uh, Mark chapter 6. We're going to dive into our text this morning in just a second. I must grow in my love for other people. You see, a life of generosity flows out of a love for others. It's a mark of a true believer of God that we are we love one another. And we find this in our story here. The disciples had been working overtime. They had been traveling with Jesus, teaching, performing miracles. All of these things, they were exhausted. They get in the boat and they're like, let's go over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and let's get away from these people. <laughs> and the disciples were, uh, they were human, they were just like you and me. Uh, they were, uh, they were worn out, they were exhausted. I mean, it was like Friday and it was 6.30 and they were still in the office and everybody else had gone home and they're, they're ready. You know, you know what I'm talking about? It's that feeling of, Pure, I am tapped out. I don't think I have anything else left to give. And they go and they, they get in the boat and they said, let's go. Let's get away from these people. We need a break. We need some rest. We need to have food. We need to have all of these things. In Mark chapter 6, verse 30, the word of God says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. It's important all of us need times of rest. Uh, over the next week or so, my family's going to be going on vacation for a few days and just trying to get away and rest and, and get ready for a brand new school year, a brand new uh, fiscal year here at church, a brand new preschool year. We're trying to get ready, our kids ready for starting back to college and the high school. But here we see for many were coming and going, they had no leisure even to eat. They went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. So if you look at this passage, they're on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's a freshwater uh, lake in northern Israel. They're on one side, and if, if you look up a map, if you have one of those Bibles that have some of the Bible maps on there, it, they, they, they go across the Sea of Galilee. It's about four miles to the other side where they're headed. I've, I've sailed on a boat on this very uh, this very Sea of Galilee, and you'll see a picture on the screen in just a second. It, it's absolutely breathtaking to be on that boat and just think this was the very waters that our Savior uh, would sail across. And he was trying to get away from the crowd just so that they could take some time of rest. Verse 33 says, now many saw them going. They saw them out there on the boat. And so they, they recognized them. It says they ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So now you can imagine here, Jesus is trying to get a break. They're exhausted. And they said, let's, let's get on the boat. We're going over to the other side. We're going to get away and take a time of rest. 
What happens is, and they've told me the other day, I said, my parameters are this stripe right here and that stripe. They said, that's where the cameras can get you. So if you're out there and I go out and I apologize, I'll get back in line at some point. But they're going along. They come on, Jesus is coming. Jesus is going over there. And so they start going from town to town and they're running along the seashore, along the, the Sea of Galilee. And the crowd is growing. People are giving it along. And they arrive at where the very place where Jesus and his disciples were going to get there. People saw Jesus leaving. They saw him in a boat. They said it was up to a 10-mile hike. Imagine how much they wanted to see Jesus. People from the surrounding villages join him. He's trying to get away from the crowd. He gets off the boat, and now there's an even larger crowd gathered waiting to see him. Verse 34 says, when he went ashore, he saw a great cloud, cloud, crowd, And the word of God says he had compassion on them. I don't know if you've ever been exasperated. If you've ever gotten to that. I mean, you're just exhausted. And you know what? When we get that place, I don't know about maybe it's just me. But I mean, I'll get frustrated. And I mean, you may, you know, get angry with people. You might get upset with people. You lose your temper with people. And sometimes we're the worst ones with our own family. I mean, you're agitated. You had a bad day at work and you come home and you take it out on everybody around you. And you have to go back sometimes and apologize and say, Dad was in a, he was stressed out and he was, uh, had too much on his plate or whatever. But here Jesus was exhausted. He was exasperated, had not had anything to eat, needed rest desperately. And he comes off the boat, and when he saw the great crowd, he got angry. He got, no, he says, he had compassion on them. Underline that if, you're, if you have your, uh, the, your Bible in front of you. You see, it's an easy part of the story to miss because Jesus didn't respond the way that the disciples responded. You remember how happened whenever the, the kids were all coming around and wanting to sit on his lap and talk to him. And they said, hey, get away, get away. He's too busy. He's got too many things to do. And, and Jesus said, no, let the children come unto me for such is the kingdom of God. And he was, so when he saw the great crowds, the word of God says he had compassion on them and all of his exhaustion. He responded with compassion. I wonder this morning, when your life plans are interrupted by the needs of others, how do you respond? Do you have compassion towards the poor, the needy, those who are, are doing without, those who don't have the same luxuries and, 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 and benefits that we have so often as followers of Jesus? When life uh, interrupts our, uh, our plans... Our paths. How do we respond uh, to what God is trying to use us to accomplish? You see, it's easy within the context of the church to say, man, I love my city. I love my community. It's easy to say that within the walls of a church. But it's a lot harder when you're outside and someone is genuinely in need and we have an opportunity to be the light of the world and point others to the Savior. Sometimes it's challenging. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? When someone comes and they have a need and they're asking you, can you help meet that need? And you're like, you know what? I'd love to, but you know what? It's not a good time. You know, I've just paid my mortgage. Just... 
I've got a kid in college. I mean, I, I can't. I don't have any extra money. I mean, what what in the world are you possibly? I mean, what can I possibly accomplish or do? You see, it's harder to show the love of Christ outside of meeting as a church because it's easy to say it when we're fired up and we're thinking, man, I want to support missions. I want to do all of this work. I want to help the poor and the needy. But folks, when you get out there, the needs are real. Our community is desperately in need of not only uh, physical needs, but they have a spiritual need that is lacking in their life and they need to see the love of Jesus. I want you to remember what God's ultimate gift was John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. You see what happens is, I want us to notice, it says God so loved the world that He what, church? He gave. He gave. In all of His love for the entire world, He gave the most precious thing is only begotten Son. God's generosity comes out of His love for us. And I want us to listen to this one. Jesus is not bothered by the interruptions of our needs. In fact, 2,000 years ago when He stepped off that boat on the seashore of the Sea of Galilee, He wasn't annoyed. He wasn't uh, overwhelmed by, by the needs of the people out of He had compassion. He showed love. He showed mercy to those in need. And folks, I wonder this morning, when He hung on the cross... Over 2,000 years ago and died on the cross for your sin and mine. He did so showing love and compassion. In fact, he said, Father, forgive them for they knew not what they're doing. That's the, the love that he had. That's the compassion. He showed mercy toward us in need. I wonder when we're interrupted by those with human needs, how do we respond this morning? What if it's a homeless person? What if it's your spouse and they're needing some time and they're needing some attention? What if it's an opportunity to be generous and give physically? How do we respond? You see, what happens is we must grow in our love for others this morning, but we must also invest in God's financial principles. And we think about, say, Pastor, what's the meaning of that? What happens is oftentimes we don't love people enough to want to give towards their needs. But see, there's also a second reason, I believe, that we don't give or we're not generous in, in our lives. We're not prepared to give because we've not been putting God first in our finances. Think about it. It's not, say, well, Pastor, I love the, the needy. I love the poor. I love the lost of my city. But I'll be honest, there's more month than there is paycheck. And I can't be generous because I'm struggling just trying to keep all of the balls balanced. In, in high school, we had this guy that came to our, our school and he was up there preaching and he would do all these things. He was juggling, he was doing all, and, and he, he put these things up. It was kind of about the size of this stand right here. And he would spin basketballs on them and he had another one right beside it. He would get it going, he would get that one going. And there was like 10 basketballs going. And I, I, my OCD, I was over there stressing the whole time. I was like, he better get that number two. I mean, number two's about to fall. He goes over there, he spins it, he goes over here and he's doing this and he's running. And the whole time he's just balancing back and forth, seeing which one needs a little bit more attention. And he's spinning those balls. And I'm thinking to myself, what happens is so often we're spending all of our time just trying to stray afloat. And we don't ever thrive or enjoy living life. 
You see, what happens is if we're stretched too far financially, we can't invest in meeting the needs of others. We can't live a generous life because God is not getting number one in our life. See, when you and I apply God's financial principles to our lives, we make wise financial decisions. We'll be blessed and more prepared to respond to human need with generosity when the occasion arises. So when that person around us, maybe it's a coworker, faces a sudden death in their family, we can make a, a contribution and say, you know what, I want to give them a couple hundred dollars towards that need. I want to help that person who's having brain surgery or, or cancer treatments and they, they can't make the, the, their payments on their bills. Or I want to help this person who's about to get evicted from their house because they, they've lost their job during the pandemic. And what happens is as things arise, we are not so locked in financially that we can't help people that are truly in need in our life. We go to our, on to our text, verse 35, when it grew late, his disciples came and said, there's... This is a desolate place. The hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. The disciples, they're just like us. Sometimes we like to point a finger at Peter and say, uh, he stepped out of that boat and uh, sank. No, he's the one that had enough faith to step out of the boat. Many of us aren't even, we're too afraid to even take that first step. And we say, yeah, well, Peter denied Christ three times. How many times in our lives have we denied the calling of God in our lives and what he's wanting to accomplish in and through us? We say, not today, God, not today, not today. I'll do it next time. I mean, next mission trip that comes along, I'll sign up, but not this one. I mean, this, and what happens is opportunities to do whatever it is that God's calling us to do, to give, to serve, to be a, a part of the, the what God is doing. In other words, the people are saying there's a large crowd. The disciples are saying, send them away. And Jesus said, no, this is an opportunity for them to see the generosity. Them to see God at work, the power of God. So instead of sending them away and being selfish, let's be generous. Let's meet a need. Let's try to do our part to help solve this problem. They find out later this crowd was at least 5,000 men. They had them all set down. They counted them all out. And it could have been ten to 12,000, 15,000 people. The disciples said, we're going to get food to feed a crowd this large from where? I mean, Chick-fil-A is closed today. I mean, it's Sunday. I mean, how are we going to possibly feed all these people? Verse 38 says, he said to him, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. We've got five loaves. And two fish. The five loaves and two fish came from one young man. There's upwards of twelve to 15,000 people. They scoured all of the crowd looking for food. And you're going to tell me they only came up with one little measly bag lunch? That's all they could find. Nobody brought, nobody thought, hey, I might get hungry today. Nobody thought I better pack a lunch. Nobody thought I better, you know, there's not a McDonald's around the corner. I probably better prepare. All of this happened to find only one person that brought a lunch. Imagine in a crowd of thousands, a young boy wasn't the only one who brought their food. But I can imagine a husband and wife 
you're coming on. Anybody got any extra food they could spare? You ever been in that situation and you kind of look down? You're like, man, I don't, don't make eye contact. I mean, don't, don't, don't look at the person there walking down the street because I mean, if they make eye contact, I mean, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, 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 I don't want to give them any money, but I don't know how to help them. I don't know what to do. And it, it, you just avoid them. I mean, you do like they do in the Northeast when you get on the, the subways or the metro. You, you don't look at anybody. I mean, my sister, whenever we went to visit her, she's like, talk to people. Don't look at people. I mean, just, you know, stare straight ahead. Go with the purpose and know what you're doing. You don't talk to those people because you don't know what they're up to. And it, it, it's a mistrust. It's a not having, uh, it's how they go through life. But you can imagine husband and wives we say, you know, we don't have enough food. We have just enough to feed just our family. So we don't really have anything we can offer. There's nothing else that we can possibly do. Imagine there were people that wanted to share, but they didn't bring any food. They weren't prepared. They weren't able to give. And many times we have a desire to be generous, but we find that we have nothing left to be generous with. Coming up this fall, we're going to have a, a series called Financial Grace that we're going to offer as an opportunity to help people get on board with God's financial plan and how you can grow in relationship with God. And when you begin to put God in the first place and give Him first in our finances, you know what? We can be more generous because now the priorities of God, His financial principles are being entertained and utilized in our lives and we're putting Him first in those areas. When we give God 10%, we put money into savings. We put have a, those rainy day funds and money saved, put away. Whenever trials come our way, when opportunities to help people in need come our way, we can give back and be generous in this life. I want to encourage you. It, it, this is something everybody should have an opportunity to take and utilize within their life and be more generous. But see, thirdly, give when God reveals the need to you. I want to invite you to look over at John chapter 6. It's a, a, one of the other gospel accounts because it gives a little clearer picture of this, of this child who comes and, and, and gives his lunch. When our love for other people is growing and we apply God's financial principles to our lives, we're prepared and we're ready when God reveals the need to us. A few weeks ago, we I interviewed Melissa Smith up here on the stage, and we talked about the mission that God had called her to and how she stepped up and said, Here, my Lord, send me. And we gave you an opportunity to give, and many of you did so and gave sacrificially, and we're helping support the mission of what God is doing through her life. But you see, what happens is when God reveals the need to us, He gives us an opportunity to respond in obedience in John chapter 6, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. There's always that negative Nancy in the room, all right? You ever met her? I mean, she's always, I mean, it doesn't matter what's going on. She is always finding the, the bad side of everything. But what are they among so many people? I mean, how could... God possibly used something so tiny and, and studying some of the things about the five loaves and two fishes, barley loaves is like a nasty, dry, nasty bread. I mean, it was, it was, and they said it was really something that poor people would eat. 
People of, 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 of normal means would not sit there and eat barley loaves. It was a, a very poor, uh, meager type of lunch that he brought. And they said that they didn't, there's no way to keep the fish fresh. So it was more like a sardine. Uh, I'm out. I mean, <laughs> I, I've been on a lot of mission trips and I've eaten a lot of things that I wasn't exactly sure what it was. Uh, after they shot the dog in India, I was out. I mean, I was like, I'm, I'm not, I'm a, uh, every time I go to India now, I only eat uh, vegetables. And uh, I'm a vegetarian uh, while in India because I can't verify what's inside that actual meat. But you go on some of these trips and you eat interesting things. But, I mean, I'm not going to be eating sardines. I, I mean, it has to pass the smell test and the uh, texture test. And uh, I'm, I'm tapped out on that one. I'm not going to be able to eat that. But it was sardines and some little loaves of bread, some little muffins, barley muffins, a meager lunch, not a whole lot to offer. And folks, but what happened is God touched his heart and says, you know what, I don't have a whole lot, but if I can, if I can give towards the needs of others, I'll give what God has blessed me with. Let me ask you this. How many, some people say, Pastor, I'm waiting for God to audibly, you know, write it in the sky he wants me to give. I mean, I'm waiting for that loud, booming, I'm waiting for the angel to appear before me and tell me, God, I want you to give X, Y, Z. Show of hands, how many people have encountered angels like that that sit there and tell you what to do from time to time? I mean, I've never met one before. How many hear the voice of God speaking audibly on a consistent daily basis? Because I want to get to know you if that's what's happening in your life. But sometimes we say, well, if God writes it in the sky, every morning he writes it in the sky. He puts rainbows across the sky. His promises of God are new every single morning. His mercies are new. And we have to have God do it in an audible voice. Send an angel of God to give. No, he's saying, I put it out in front of you. Now it's up to you to respond in obedience and how God wants to work in our lives. We see, lastly, fourthly, I need to trust that God will multiply my generosity. So the disciples are saying, what are these five loaves and two sardines amongst so many? Well, buckle your seatbelt and hold on. You see, the little gift that this boy brought to Jesus was simple. He didn't have a whole lot to offer. But Jesus took it and blessed it. Verse 39 says, he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing, and he broke the loaves and gave them the disciples to set before them. He divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. You see, what happens is when God gets involved and we give back to him generously, he takes it and he multiplies it exponentially. It does things we can't even fathom or imagine. This morning, said, Pastor, what's the application? If God didn't do that with just a little bit that was given in faith, imagine this morning, what could God do when we as individuals, when we as a church... 
give out of faith because we believe in God. We trust His plan, His purpose. What would happen if we stepped out by faith and said, God, here am I. Use me. Send me. Use me to accomplish this thing. If there's anything we can learn from the, the last year and a half, we can't trust in our wealth. People have lost their jobs. Businesses have gone under. In fact, I'm walking, we're driving around, sometimes looking for a place to eat. That place has gone out of business. That place has gone out of business. That place is no longer, they're still boarded up. I, and, and we're trying to figure out what's going on in our, so many places are struggling. Every company has now hiring. Uh, the other day, I was, uh, I, I'm not going to lie, I was sitting there at a stoplight, and they said a $600 signing bonus at the McDonald's. I'm like, I started, my first job was next door at, at Hardee's. I flipped some burgers. I might even sign on for an, an evening job to get that $600 bonus. <laughs> I'm totally playing. But you know, the reality is just everybody's desperate trying to hire. But folks, what would happen, you know, we could trust God. But we can't trust in our wealth. We can trust God, but we can't trust in the economy. Our lives don't consist this morning of what's in our bank account. It's what we do with what God has blessed us with that truly matters. He wants to use us for His glory. We can't trust in our wealth. Why? Because it's temporary. It's it's fleeting. But there's one thing we can trust in this morning, and that is Jesus Christ. It's because He loves us. And he's faithful this morning. We can trust in him. And folks, this morning when you live a generous life, you can trust that God will return the blessings back to you. It's not always financial. Sometimes it's just the joy of giving. Oh, there's nothing quite like it whenever you give and you see God. When I see people come to faith in Christ, when when Brother Pastor Jackson told me, on Wednesday night, Pastor David, two teens got saved at youth group tonight. You know what? I mean, I was laying in bed when he texted me that, but I wanted to jump out and click my heels together. You say, why? Because that's why we do what we're doing. That's why all of the money spent on glow sticks and black lights and all of those things to have that fun experience on Wednesday night is worth it. When two young people prayed and placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. When Melissa goes and starts teaching in a couple weeks in the classroom. And she's able to impact a life and see someone come to faith in Christ. When Pastor Elijah over in Romania leads someone to faith in Christ. When we're watching our missionaries in Nicaragua and India touch lives with the gospel. Folks, every single one of those we have a part in receiving a blessing of what God is accomplishing. When you live a life, a generous life, you can trust God with the return blessing. He returns blessings back to us exponentially. What if a young boy had decided not to give Jesus those five loaves of barley and two fish? What if he decided, you know what, I'm hungry. I'm a, and the disciples are walking around. Anybody have any, anybody have any food that they can give? Anybody have anything they can give? And he just kind of stared down at his... You know, look, you know, you know that look. I mean, I know, I, I see sometimes when I'm walking, sometimes when I walk out there and I'm, I'm going to uh, give an illustration and some of you are like, please don't call on me. Please don't call me. <laughs> I mean, Megan's told me, she said, I'll do anything for you. Don't call me up to be an example on stage. But I mean, that look, I'm like, please don't call me. I'm, I'm fumbling through my Bible trying to find that verse that you're not using right now. And, and there's that sense of don't expect me to be involved. 
See, what happens is Jesus Christ has called us all to give generously. He's called us to be a part of. What if he decided, you know what, I'm hungry. I'm going to keep it for myself. He would have, he would have been able to eat that day. But you see, he would have missed out on being part of one of the greatest miracles that Jesus ever performed. Then on top of all of that, he would have missed out on being able to take 12 basketfuls of food back home. Mom, you're never going to believe what happened today. When I met Jesus, I gave him those, remember those five little barley loaves? I mean, remember those two little sardines that you sent me in in a lunch bag? And it was, if I, if I just got hungry and needed a little something, I mean, I had all those snacks. It's just like a, a pack of nabs and a, you know, and a, a piece of fruit or two. When you gave me that fruit, that, that food to take with me today, Jesus, I, I gave it to Jesus and he took it and, Mommy, there was a whole bunch of people. I mean, it was like thousands. And probably a young kid would say, there was like millions of people there, Mom. And and Jesus fed all of those people. And there's so much left over. I've got 12 men behind me. Oh, they're all the disciples of Jesus. They're standing behind me with all the leftovers. I mean, you're going to have to get the freezer ready. We've got so much fish to put in there. We're going to have to give this food away to neighbors and and poor and needy people around us because there's so much left over. What if he decided he not to do that? Folks, he would have missed out on being one of part of the greatest miracles Jesus ever performed. He would have missed out on being able to take the 12 baskets, but he would have missed out on one of the greatest blessings of his life. The Lord doesn't tell us his name. It doesn't go on to say that he pastored the first Baptist church of the Sea of Galilee. It doesn't tell us what his future trajectory of his life was, but I promise you he was blessed. And I promise you he was part of the story of God And folks, it's the same for us. Every time we reject an opportunity to give to others, we miss out on an opportunity to receive from God blessings that we can't even begin to fathom. He provides exceeding abundantly. And we're afraid to let go. We're afraid to live generous because we're afraid if we're generous, somehow we're not going to have enough for ourselves. Can I just say this morning, that's a miserable way to live your life. I've heard it said sometimes, the the richer you are, the more worried you are about not having enough money. And they say that sometimes people get so wealthy that they're... They don't trust anyone. Everyone's out to get them. They're constantly worried that someone's going to rob them blind and take everything that they own. And so what happens is it's a miserable way to live. God is right there saying, my child, if you'll just let go of the scraps, the the five barley loaves and and the two fish, they're not good enough for you. I created you for something far better. The Word of God continues in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We read verse 6 earlier. It says, Each one must give as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves what, church? A cheerful giver. I love this passage because the person who probably would have been said, you know what, I have the least to give, gave the most. Story in the New Testament the widow who gave the widow's might, 
who said other people gave more, but she gave all. That's, that's how God works. When we're willing to say, God, I don't have a whole lot, but whatever I have is yours. I'm willing to be a part of your story. I'll serve, I'll give, I'll go. And as God leads, I'm open and willing to be a part of what God is doing to reach the nations. Folks, he will do something exponential through your life if we'll just get out of the way and let God have full control of our hearts and lives. Heavenly Father, Lord, this morning, what a joy we have to come into your presence this morning and to experience true worship. And God, it's been awesome just to raise our voices and our hands and and make much of you exalt your name this morning. God, we're thankful for what you're doing in our midst. God, I pray this morning that you'll get a hold of our hearts. God, it's not about an amount. It's about giving all. God, everything I have is on loan from you. And we're to be a good steward. We're supposed to give back as you blessed us. And Lord, you'll take it and you'll multiply it. And you'll use it to accomplish greater things than any of us could ever have imagined. God, would you do a mighty work in our hearts and lives? Lord, maybe there's someone this morning who's here in person in this room or or tuning in online that does not have a personal relationship with you. Lord, I pray that they would come and allow someone to show them from Scripture how you loved us so much that you gave your only son, Jesus. The Word of God says if we'll confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, would you do a mighty work this morning in our hearts and lives? Lord, those of us that know Christ as our Savior, Lord, I pray that we begin to put your financial principles into practice in our daily lives in such a way that we can respond in obedience as you can begin to show us the needs around us and opportunities that we can make an impact on the kingdom of God here in our city and around the world. God, use us mightily, exponentially, through the power of giving. We'll be careful to praise you. Let's stand for...